that shit, didn't you? <laughs> well, I got news for y'all. I'm on some new shit. It had a good run, but it's over now. Time y'all dance to a different sound. That nasty shit will make your ears bleed. You can never get enough of what you don't need. In time, every genre tastes defeat. It's the death of EDM, but a drop a new beat. The death of EDM. It's time to dance to a different sound, namely Future Rave. Enter David Guetta. Well, this is the Freak PTDM podcast coming back again with another episode, episode 185. It is Sunday, the 7th of November 2021, and I'm gonna bring to you an interesting interview I found from David Guetta. As you remember from a couple of episodes ago, he was declared the number one DJ in the world for the second year running in the DJ Mag Top 100 uh, awards that took place in Amsterdam during the Amsterdam Dance Week. And I just found it ironic when uh, he released this tune uh, a few years ago talking about the death of EDM and now coming back with a new dance sound called Future Rave or even as he proclaimed an even brand new sound called Future Rave 2.0. So David Guetta he says he's found balance 10 years after titanium and he proclaims I'm free as it gets now for those who don't know and um, if you if you're watching the video if you if you're listening to the audio podcast just head on to odyssey.com and watch the video and you see what I mean now David Guetta has been around for quite a long time so as you can see here this is his discography that I pulled from Discogs.com and you can see that his first album was back in 2002 with just a little more love then he released two years later 2004 Get A Blaster 2007 Pop Life 2009 One Love uh, 2010, David Guetta, Best Works and Best Remixes. And I think his big breakthrough was very timely with uh, the rapid ascension of EDM in the United States. Uh, Nothing But The Beat w was released by Virgin EMI in 2011. And, uh, you know, after that, the rest is history. But he was already, as you can see, an established artist with one, two, three, four full albums before that. Uh, after that, he released Listen in 2014 and Seven in 2018. And as you can see, his uh, discography even goes even a bit further than that with his first record called Nation Rap Sydney and David Guetta in 1990. Right? The guy has been around for some time. The 1994. Um, just a little more low was a big hit in 2001 and then you can see here 
Yeah, so many, so many releases. But let's go back to the interview. I found this very interesting. So we're going to discuss this. Um, it's actually, today is actually his birthday. Uh, it's completely coincidentally that I picked this day. Um, but it's also a decade after him releasing Titanium. Now, Titanium, um, I'm sure you have listened to the track. It's one of my favorite ever tracks. It's very emotional. Um, it's actually, I was listening to it on the radio when I first listened to it. And uh, um, I thought that, you know, this is very commercial, but... This is, these are the kind of tunes that kind of stay around because they're commercial, but in a good way, if that makes sense. They, they, didn't, uh, they weren't part of a recipe. So that's, that's David Guetta's genius here. So um, 10 years ago, David Guetta was having a moment. His fifth studio album, Nothing But The Beat, delivered a litany of hits, um, including Without You, Where The Girls At, and Turn Me On while setting the stage for the impeding EDM explosion, as I said. The fifth single was Titanium and was uh, a turn from the R&B and hip-hop influence sound of the preceding hits and Geta wasn't sure how audiences would receive it. And that's true, I mean, a lot of that album was uh, kind of a, a dance remix in R&B and hip-hop artists or tunes but uh, that was that was very very different and Geta says over zoom to the to the billboard magazine here I don't think I've ever managed to manage the quality of titanium and I probably would agree with that when uh, um, he says I'm doing the interview because it's billboard uh, but I told my management that I'm not going to do a full campaign to speak about the past because I'm more interested in the future. You can see, even on his talk uh, during the awards, that um, he kind of got disengaged from his past, and he wants to establish, you know, his present as well as future. So he kind of abstains from talking a lot about his past, and we're going to see this a little bit later. The anniversary celebrations are at Titanium, have in fact been sparse with Geta and his producing partner partner Morton dropping a future rave remix uh, at the Creamfields Festival in the UK in August um, Geta's first show back after the pandemic yet hits like Titanium are also helping, helping Geta step into his future um, because he sold his catalog to Warner to Warner Records for a hundred million dollars and we're gonna come to that now to the actual interview um, the interviewer asks, now that live events seem to really be coming back amidst the ongoing pandemic, what's your take on where the dancing is at and where things are going? Geta says, obviously in my industry it was very hard because a lot of people, technicians and even artists, lost their jobs and had to pick a normal job because they couldn't survive. Festival organizers also suffered a lot, but I'm telling a lot of clubs and festivals that at the same time, we're going to have the best years we've ever had. Um, and he continues, I've been doing this my entire life, so I've seen the different ways with the trends of what's hot and what's less hot. And I feel like dance music was going a little bit down because hip-hop was so strong. And that, that's, that's absolutely true. We discussed this previously in this podcast.
podcast that there's waves of dance music and trends coming in and out and almost circles and yeah hip hop is like the dominant music genre isn't it now I feel completely the opposite he says in moments of crisis I always think music that makes you feel good and lets you forget everything's winning and in this moment dance music is back so strong it's the strongest it's been for years at least in Europe maybe not here in America but it's going to come and he has a point that sometimes people after a lot of problems they're looking for some escapism and you know uh, what is a rave it's actually a you know a party it's a, a hedonism it's escapism it's all of this together so he's probably right about the music fitting completely in the current uh, chain of events he continues when you see um, even an artist like Ed Sheeran doing a comeback single that is dance music this is no accident I got a feeling with a black eyed piece was also at the end of a massive crisis He's talking about the 2008 financial crisis because he contributed to that track. I got a feeling with Black Eyed Peas. Um, and then the interviewer says, I don't want to say that the dance music is the opposite of reality, but things have been so. He says, no, it is. That's the Vegeta. Because you want to escape your reality. That's what's happening. Whenever that's the situation, the people want to party and escape their everyday reality and have a moment. I really feel like people didn't realize anymore because of social media being so big uh, how important it is really to be together physically together you know after watching Netflix for a year and spending hours on Instagram every day and TikTok or whatever it is I feel like people are like okay we miss something in our lives so those parties they became celebrations of a life and this is something that I share and agree with him that um, all these virtual online mixes is one thing, you know, to listen to music, but there's no feeling like actually physically being together in the same space with somebody sharing a moment. Um, and the interviewer says the same thing that this is a human necessity, and David Guetta agrees, says that's what I'm trying to say. I think because of the evolution of society, people kind of forgot this and they're like, wow, we really need to connect and be together. I've done all those shows online that were great at these shows called United at Home that were very, very successful. Have you ever watched any of these? Um, I briefly watched one of them. I didn't, I didn't follow it because, again, I just don't feel the connection myself. He says, it was amazing, but I don't know if you saw the video of my August set at Creamfields, but nothing can replace that, you know. So... Uh, the interviewer says, are you saying that the United at Home live streams didn't feel the same for years performing for tens of thousands of people? And he says, no, I'm honest. United at Home felt amazing because it was a charity, so it allowed me to bring in millions and give millions of meals to people in that were in need. So I was incredibly happy. I always wanted to do more. So he's talking about charity. Um, he says, I think at the last show in Dubai has 20 million views on YouTube and Miami had something like 50 million. It's crazy, but it's not the same. The way I see my job is I come and party with the people. I don't see myself just delivering a show. I come to party with them, to dance with them. So, of course, when you do it in front of the camera, it's not the same as when I can feed off the energy of the people. Um... Then we're going into some politics and controversy, and um, 
I wasn't aware of that, that this happened last year, to be honest. So the interviewer says there was some backlash to the George Floyd tribute you did during the first United at Home event in New York in May 2020, when you said, I really hope we can see more unity and more peace when things are already so difficult, and then offered a shout-out to Floyd's family, and then sampled Martin Luther King's Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. What did you make of that backlash? <laughs> uh, let's see what the backlash was about. Honestly, I really didn't make anything out of it because I thought it was so insane. Now, this is quite weird because David Guetta has always been very, very neutral and very politically correct. This is one of his characteristics. He doesn't take a stand. So, see him here taking a stand. I'm, I'm thinking maybe something has changed in this man. He always tried to you know, go with the flow and never be controversial. But here he says the opposite. So he says, First, I'm French, and of course I felt very sorry because I think the words I used were not appropriate. But it was not coming from a wrong place. It was obviously coming from a good place. A lot of people thought I should not play Martin Luther King's speech because I'm white. That I cannot accept. This is crazy to say that. I think probably what happened he was accused of cultural appropriation um, as I said I didn't follow that event so I can't really comment uh, but I would agree with him uh, since when words just become black words and some other words are only white words and other words are only Asian words and so it goes I, I don't this is just beyond me he says I was very sorry if the words I used were considered disrespectful because it wasn't. I think a lot of people just saw one little second of the performance and not the whole video because I spoke about this saying I made a record especially in his honor. So this cannot be considered disrespectful and the Martin Luther King speech is about being all together and sharing a dream. It's not about separating cultures. People love creating drama without even knowing what they're talking about. The mom of my children is black. Okay, so I didn't think they can be uh, they can be accused of being racist, you know. I think it was ignorance from me in a way that English isn't my native language and ignorance from the people talking about the show that they didn't see. The only answer I gave is that I was at a Black Lives Matter protest with my ex-wife and my children. I posted a photo from that. I didn't make any more comment. Um, and the interviewer continues being at the center of a controversy like that do you try and ignore it or does it bother you and then he says honestly I just ignore it things like this happened to me a few times this happened when I was doing United at home bringing millions of dollars to give to people to charity that they couldn't eat um, I'm not really interested by these types of people that just want to create drama with something that comes from the wrong place. We can all make mistakes, and I definitely made a mistake in the words I chose, but I still don't even understand why it made such a big deal, to be honest. Now the uh, interview is leaving this behind, and he's concentrating on Titanium and, and his live show at Creamfields. He's asking, you mentioned a Creamfield show in August where you played Titanium and the crowd, which was huge, sang along to every word. What is it like for you to know that the song still hit so hard 10 years after it came out? And David says, it's amazing, of course. That is probably the song that makes me the proudest in my career. 
First, because I think it's probably the song that really revealed Sia to the world. So Sia is the singer. She was successful, but in a more underground way, a more indie pop way. She didn't really cross over so massively before, and it was so incredible for me to discover what I consider probably the biggest talent of the planet. Okay, big words there. Also, at the time, it was a huge shift in music, including in American pop music. So yeah, it's something I'm very proud of, and I still love the song. I just made a remix together with my friend Morton, and you see how it connects. Um, I don't want to spoil Titanium. Um, by listening to a remix I mean the song is perfect can you make it more perfect my answer is no uh, it's almost like it has a new signification when I play it during covid times like how you know you can go through bad times uh, interviewers asking did you know it was going to be such a massive hit when you were making that's that's very interesting now because he's actually saying that he didn't know that but I found that weird I mean um, it's obvious that the moment you hear it for the first time, you know, you hooked on it. Uh, he says at the time it was so different that we didn't release it as a first single or as a second single or even as a third. Right before Nothing But The Beat, his album, I came with a new sound. There you go again. I think he has an obsession with uh, becoming some sort of a patron or, or crafter. Of a, of a new sound I came with a new sound where I was mixing European electronic culture with urban American culture and making records like Sexy Beats and I got a feeling I mean he was one of the main protagonists but he wasn't the only like Chester did it as well so it was just a clever way of just getting um, you know getting what is popular and then just dancing a, uh, adding a dance beat to it it's definitely not a new sound, so let's be real. So when I came back, I came back with Nicki Minaj, as those were the records that felt most obvious at the time. A first release turned me on as the single. I think it was the first time Nicki was singing because she was a very respected rapper, but she didn't sing yet. Uh, then there was Without You with Usher, Where the Where Them Girls At with Flo Rider, Sweat, with Snoop Dogg, I mean that that album just had all these hits, right? Every one of them was a huge hit at the time, very commercial. Um, but at the end we decided to release Titanium. Like I said, the trend I launched was the urban dance trend and then I went completely different again with something that was kind of indie pop and very emotional. He's talking about Titanium. I promise you no one was expecting this record to be so big. I don't believe that, David, sorry. We didn't see it coming, it's funny because of course today you listen to it and it's such a smash, but at the time we didn't know. Uh, and the interviewer says, were you nervous about the song? Uh, and David says, the best thing in my life is when I play a record for the first time on stage and the worst thing in my life is when I have to decide which song is the next single. Because apparently he's doing all the decisions, not his management. He says, I hate this, it makes me anxious, it's really terrible, but it's part of my job, so I do it because I have to, especially in the US, because the system is different in America. When you go wrong on this, it's a really big problem. Here in Europe, if um, if you make a single and it doesn't work as much as you expected, you just move on to the next one, it's not such a big deal. Um, the interviewer asks, do you remember what the campaign was and what kind of resources were put behind it? He says, 
David says, this tells you everything. Look at the video. The video is a cheap video because we didn't think it was going to be such a smash. Uh, I don't know how many views he has. Uh, and the editor here says that at the moment he has 1.5 billion YouTube views. But it's probably around a billion views. Well, he knows. For a video that costs like almost nothing. Um, so that you can watch this on YouTube if you wish. Do you consider your own legacy what it will be and how it stands currently? So that's the interview question. And I think David Guetta is in this transition period right now where he has to think about you know, his name and his legacy and uh, how people will remember him. And David says, it's interesting that you ask this question because I just sold my catalog to Warner. Since I sold it, I think I've had four records in the top five in the UK, so I'm really focusing on the future. It's true that I'm very attached to nothing but the bit, but I really believe that I can make a new catalogue that is going to be as good and as important as my previous one. With Titanium and Without You and Play Hard and all those records, it was really a moment where dance music crossed over to pop. In a certain way, because success is so addictive, I started to be obsessed with commercial success like every artist that has touched that at some point. I feel like for a moment I kind of lost myself. I just wonder whether the same thing happened to Aviti. We will never know, of course. And the, the interviewer asks, have you found yourself? So we're going now into a self-discovering or, or reflection journey in the psyche of David Guetta together with the Freak BTDM podcast and Johnny Walker, that's me. David says, in the last two years I was like, you know what? I just want to focus on my foundations again. I created this new sound, there we go again, called Future Rave, that is festival music. But I mean, wasn't ADM festival music? And this Elias called Jack Back, that is more like underground house music. So, Jack Back is really good. His productions as Jack Back, I hardly recommend them. It's very interesting because after doing that, when I came back with pop music again, it was more successful than I've been in probably the last five years. It was crazy to have four records in the top 40 at the same time. Wow, that's an achievement. So my feeling is like probably in the same way that in hip-hop where they're doing mixtapes to keep the street credibility, it's the same in dance music. It's amazing to cross over, but it's also dangerous because you easily can start to live in fear instead of living in passion. You just live in fear of not being number one anymore. Whereas, what I love in dance music, you have huge DJs, for example, Tiesto, who has an amazing career, but I think the business is his first really huge pop hit. Um, I mean, it was a very big hit, but um, I think one of his albums around the same time in 2011 probably produced the same hits. What I mean is that you can have a huge career like him without hits and this is what I've been doing in the last two years and my demand went up incredibly because my sound was not only credible but also influential again in my community in terms of inspiring other DJs and producers. And he says nothing but the beat was maybe the peak of my career on a pop level. At least you have people who admit that all they're doing is pop music, right? Um, and you have all these people being featured in, uh, I don't know, like EDM forums and stuff like that. And I'm like, come on! Pop music, Martin Garrix, pop music. 
Illinium, rock music. Okay, anyway. But after that, I was not happy as before, and I was not as happy as I am now. I think Avicii went through this, and I think probably every big artist that goes to number one at some point is going to go through this. It's like the biggest achievement of your life, but at the same time, happiness is more about the journey than about the destination. He, he does sound a bit mature, doesn't he? So when you're there, you're like, okay, now what? You know, all you can do is look down. Yeah, it was kind of a reset this year for me. There we go. The great reset happened in David Guetta as well. I've done a kind of a reset of everything, and I feel like... I wonder whether he's listening to our podcast when we said the great reset in dance music. Wait, which episode was that? Let me check out now, because I'm curious. You guys should be listening. We're prophets here. This podcast is prophetic. Um, the great reset in dance music... Uh, was gosh when was it in June 8 2020 and it was episode um, which episode was it I can't even see the episode anyway um, it was episode uh, in June 8 2020 the great reset in dance music go and listen to it so there, David get after a year, he says he's had a reset as well. And I feel like I'm in a new dynamic of that whole journey again. It's fantastic and it's very successful. So it's very exciting. I feel 20 years old again. And he says, the interviewer, it's interesting what you're saying about future raver establishing you in the dance music community after your previous successes had pushed you so far into pop. Uh, there's a little bit of disconnection, right? So what you produce with your, uh, you know, on your records and what you actually play when you go out it seems like these are two different things, perhaps. And David says, all the other big DJs started to, I can say, copy, and it's not even insulting because I embrace it, copy the sound that we created. It's amazing because for me, pop success is very important, but it was always in dance music because dance music was a reaction to pop music. Exactly. At least this guy who's been there since the very beginning, as you've seen, he released his first record in 1990. I think deep inside, despite his commercial success, there's some, there's a David Guetta there that, that connects with the past and the origins of electronic dance music. He says, when I started to be a DJ was because I didn't want to play or listen to what was on the radio. Correct. I want to create my own message. I want to create my own style. He used to be a radio DJ initially, I think, in a French radio station. So for me, being able to do this again is as important as having titanium. And then they're talking about uh, him selling his record catalog, which I find very interesting because with a whole NFT craze, he could have easily um, managed storage. Uh, he could have easily um, just create NFTs of his songs. And he says, well, it's honestly really crazy because I had no idea it has so much value. I kept my masters just because I'm a very organized person and I like controlling every aspect of my work. I was never signed as an artist. It was always a license deal since day one because I would deliver a final product to the company, but I didn't even want the record label to be able to pick the singles. Um, I didn't know if you noticed or you probably know because you work at people, but a lot of big investment funds are heavily investing in buying catalogs. Yeah, I think 
I remember this year something happened like that. Uh, he says, when they gave me uh, a number of a fund, I told my partner who does all the business, look around a little bit and see. Uh, he says, this is crazy. It's like winning the lottery because you don't see it coming. So it was good because I haven't been able to do for a year and a half, so I could still buy some new sneakers. Come on, don't tell me you were poor now, David. Get uh, um, He says, when you get a number like that, it's just an automatic yes. Um, a number, I mean an offer. He says, oh no, it took us like a year of negotiation, but again, for me, I'm so confident in the future that I'm really not scared to do that. There was a speech for the entire group of executives around the world. We did a big Zoom call with 50 people or something. I was like, see you in seven years for the next one. Will he make it? What do you guys think? It's even more inspiring to start, start from scratch. I love it. So he feels like he's starting from scratch because he doesn't have his catalog anymore. I mean, he doesn't get revenue anymore from his catalog because he sold all the rights to um, Warner. So he says, uh, you know, he, he then goes on and says in what a good place he really feels he is right now. He says it's the 10 year anniversary of nothing but a bit and titanium, but it's the 20 years anniversary of just a little bit more, just a little more love, which was my first success. Of course, in 20 years I've been through ups and downs, and yeah, I'm one of the best places I've been because I feel as excited as when I started. I feel super creative, I feel culturally relevant in my community, which is really important for me. The difference is that this time I don't have to worry about how am I going to pay my rent if it doesn't work. It's amazing to be able to feel creative, feel inspired, make new music, take risks, but at the same time it's an easy risk because you know you're going to eat anyways. And he says, this sounds like freedom. I'm as free as it gets. And that was the interview with David Get. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, what did you think? Is he one of your favorite artists? I know the listeners of this podcast, you guys are heavily listening to David Guetta, looking at all the stats that I have on the background, for God's sake, guys, you know, just change your tune, it's just David Guetta, Martin Garrix, and Marshmallow. So, I hope you liked the interview, I didn't do it because you listened to it, and I, you know, aim for popularity, I just found interesting, uh, the guy has won uh, the DJ award for the third time, twice in a row, or was it the fourth time? twice in a row now and he's like you know he's not young is he um he has produced so much stuff as you can see here uh, and he's still going and he still feels you know great and he just sold his uh tune uh sorry he just sold his catalog and i messed up everything here <laughs> on the video anyway that was the podcast <laughs> Because the, doing this live sometimes has weird consequences. That was the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in again for another episode. And remember, until next time, get your freak on. <laughs>